Chapter Fourteen of The Shadow of a Sin by Bertha M. Clay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Fourteen Hyacinth Vaughan turned round in startled fear and wonder, and then she saw her lover's face, and knew by her womanly instinct what was coming. She made no effort to escape. She had been like a frightened, half-scared bird, but now a great calm came over her, a solemn and beautiful gladness. "'Hyacinth, forgive me,' he said. "'I have been looking for you so long. Oh, my darling, if ever the time should come that I should look for you and not find you, what should I do?' In this, one of the happiest moments of his life, there came to him a presentiment of evil, one of those sharp, sudden, subtle instincts for which he could never account, a sense of darkness, as though the time were coming when he should look for that dear face and not find it, listen for the beloved voice and not hear it, when he should call in vain for his love and no response meet his ears. All this passed through his mind in the few moments that he held her in his arms, and looked into her pure, faultless face. "'Have I startled you?' he asked, seeing how strangely pale and calm it had grown. "'Why have you been so cruel to me, Hyacinth? Did you not know that I have been seeking for you all day, longing for five minutes with you? For, Hyacinth, I want to ask you something. Now you are trembling. See how unsteady these sweet hands are. I do not want to frighten you, darling.' sit down here and let us talk quietly they sat down and for a few moments a deep silence fell over them broken only by the ripple of the water and the sound of distant music hyacinth said adrian gently i little thought when i came here four short weeks since thinking of nothing but reading three chapters of goethe before breakfast that i should find my fate the fairest and sweetest fate that ever man found I believe I loved you then, at that first moment, as dearly as I love you now. You seem to creep into my heart and nestle there. Until I die, there will be no room in my heart for any other. She sat very still, listening to his passionate words, letting her hands lie within his. It seemed to her like a king coming to take possession of his own. I can offer you, he said, the deepest, best and purest love. It has not been frittered away on half a dozen worthless objects. You are my only love. I shall know no other. Hyacinth, will you be my wife? It had fallen at last, this gleam of sunlight that had dazzled her so long by its brightness. It had fallen at her feet, and it blinded her. Will you be my wife, Hyacinth? Do not say yes unless you love me, nor because it is any one's wish, nor because Lady Vaughan may have said it would be a suitable arrangement. But say it if you love me, if you are happy with me. He remembered in after years how what she said puzzled him. She clasped her little white hands. She bent her head in sweetest humility. I am not worthy, she whispered. He laughed aloud in the joy of his heart. Not worthy? I know best about that, Hyacinth. I know that from the whole world I choose you for my wife, my queen, my love, because you are the fairest, the truest, the purest woman in it. I know that if a king were kneeling here in my place, your love would crown him. 
it is I who am not worthy, sweet. What man is worthy of love so pure as yours? Tell me, Hyacinth, will you be my wife? The grave pallor left her face. A thousand little gleams and lights seemed to play over it. My wife, to love me, to help me while we both live. I, I cannot think that you love me, she said gently. You are so gifted, so noble, so clever, so brave and so strong. <laughs> and what are you? he asked laughingly. I am nothing, nothing that is compared to you. A very sweet and fair nothing. Now that you have flattered me, listen while I tell you what you are. To begin, you are, without exception, the loveliest girl that ever smiled in the sunshine. You have a royal dowry of purity, truth, innocence and simplicity than which no queen ever had greater. All the grace and music of the world, to my mind, are concentrated in you. I can say no more, sweet. I find that words do not express my meaning. All the unworthiness is on my side, not on yours. But, she remonstrated, some day you will be a very rich, great man, will you not? I am what the world calls rich now, he replied gravely. And, yes, you are right, Tyson. It is most probable that I may be Baron Chandon of Chandon some day. What has that to do with it, sweet? You should have a wife who knows more than I do, someone who understands the great world. Heaven forbid, he said earnestly. I would not marry a worldly woman, Cynthia, if she brought me Golconda for a fortune. There's no one else who can make such a fair and gentle Lady Chandon as you. I am afraid that you will be disappointed in me afterward, she remarked falteringly. I am very willing to run the risk, my darling. Now you have been quite cruel enough, Cynthia. We will even go so far as to suppose you have faults. I know that being human you cannot be without them. But that does not make me love you less. Now, tell me, will you be my wife? She looked up at him with sweet, shy grace. I am afraid you think too highly of me she opposed apologetically in many things i am but a child child woman fairy spirit no matter what you are just as you are i love you and i would not have you changed nothing can improve you because in my eyes you are perfect will you be my wife hyacinth yes she replied and I pray that I may be worthy of my lot. He bent down and kissed the fair flushed face, the sweet quivering lips, the white drooping eyelids. You are my own now, he said, my very own. Nothing but death shall part us. So they sat in silence, more eloquent than words. The faint sound of the music came over the trees. The wind stirred the vine leaves. There never came such another hour in life for them. In the first rapture of her great happiness, Hyacinth did not remember Claude, or perhaps she would have told her lover about him, but she did not even remember him. Over the smiling heaven of her content, no cloud, however light, sailed. She remembered nothing in that hour but her love and her happiness, 
Then he began to talk to her of the life that lay before them. We must live so that others may be the better for our living, Cynthia. Should it happen that you become Lady Chandon, we will have a vast responsibility on our hands. She looked pleased and happy. We will build schools, she said. Almshouses for the poor people. We will make everyone glad and happy, Adrian. That will be a task beyond us, I fear, he rejoined with a smile. But we will do our best. I must try to learn everything needful for so exalted a position, she observed with a great sigh of content. You must be very quick about it, darling, he said. I am going to presume upon your kindness. It is not enough to know that I won you, but I want to know when you will be mine. She made no reply, and he went on. I do not see why we need wait. Do you, Cynthia? I do not see why we need hurry, she replied. I can give you a reason for that. I want you. My life will be one long sigh until I can say in very truth that you are my wife. Will you let me tell Lady Vaughan this evening that I have been successful? She clung to him, her hand clasping his arm. Not tonight, she said softly. Adrian, let me have this one night to myself to think it all over. It shall be just as you like, my darling. I will tell her tomorrow. Now, Cynthia, this is the nineteenth of July. Why should we not be married in two months from today? Ah, why not? She said nothing. The wind that whispered so many secrets to the trees did not tell them that. End of chapter 14